Welcome to the One Solution Podcast. In this podcast, we're going to explore if there really is one solution to all the world's problems. And perhaps that solution lies in the mind. The mind is both the source of those problems, but also the solution to those problems. Hello, everybody. Hello. So in this podcast, we're going to be answering questions. And they are questions we sometimes get or similar questions that we get about our mission, about what makes the mind a solution to world's problems. So we're going to look at that from different angles today. I love Q&A too, because I think it's... uh allows the conversation to become more tangible because sometimes it can seem too abstract. Yeah. That the link between what's going on inside individual people's minds and what's happening out in the world and larger global issues, it just sometimes sounds too, you know, abstract or distant for people to relate to. But when we can take actual questions that we often get from people, I think then it becomes very real and tangible and understandable. Yeah, and when we answer a question, we have to reflect on it. Like, we don't really have the answers to all of the questions we're about to answer. We don't really have the answer to any questions, but we know where to look and we could talk about something that's helpful around those questions. Mm-hmm. What feels like a direction that gets us closer to an answer, if not an answer itself. Exactly. So, are you ready? I think so. Gonna be rough. A little scared, but I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> okay, so the first question hits um, hits it on a nail with by saying, "How can you say there's one solution when there's so many complex problems in the world?" Mm-hmm. Well, I can say what I see about that, but it is to be fair an evolution of what I've observed in working with human beings that come from all different backgrounds and walks of life and have different problems. In working with those people, it began to emerge that that was true, that every problem humans face really originates in the mind and that solutions only ever come from the mind. They don't come from an external. They don't drop out of the sky or they don't exist in systems. People often, because it's more um, on our eyeballs, look at externals and things like systems and talk about systems as if they're separate um, pre-existing entities like politics or the police or the education system or the criminal justice system like or our economy. You know, these things are described as if they have their own mind, their own heartbeat, their own free will. And that's just not true. All of those things are just descriptions of a gathering of humans that had ideas and thoughts that were put into place that turned into something we call systems. So the only thing that ever changes those systems is a human being that has a change in thought and then takes that thought and puts it into the material world the world that we refer to as things and systems and circumstances and blah, blah, blah. So yeah, it it, it has been demonstrated to me over time of working with people that 
um, people created the world we live in and people are the only thing that can change the world we live in. And that that really does at its source come from an individual having a new thought and then acting on that new thought. Um, and we can see that if you go through history, you can see that um, democracy was a thought. It was an idea. So was socialism, capitalism, um, you know, uh, genocide is the thought that gets put into action by an individual. You know, these aren't externals. These are individuals driving things into the world. Yeah. So that's why I really think it's entirely possible to step back and consider, well, if it's all coming from the mind, then let's go directly to the mind and see if we can't intervene there and find a solution there. Because I think where we sit today in the year 2018, people are quite frustrated with systems and trying to fix systems, whether it be political or criminal justice or education. And I think that's perhaps because we've been trying to fix those problems too far downstream after they've already been created. And that's why we feel emboldened, but hopeful by saying there is one solution and that goes to looking at the absolute most um, fundamental source of any problem. Where did it really start? Well, it started in a mind. So how do we change minds? And that's what we're up to in one solution is making that link between how do we help humanity on an individual and a collective level change its mind so we can change the world? I think that was, I think that was perfect. Like even saying that there's complex problems, like you basically said, well, that complexity also began in the mind. Like you can't have any external complexity without it originating in people in, in what we have created mm -hmm. and but the mind can also create simplicity it could also create it can also see something new it could also redefine rearrange and it has through history done that and we fail to realize that that's where it all begins and we look at the inventions rather than the fact that we can invent yes you know yes. so we get stuck, oh, there was this great invention, and then or even this person invented this thing. So we get we get stuck on the person or the thing rather than that is something that is kind of alive or dormant in all human beings. That's what creates all type of change. It has always been like that. That's gonna be the evolution going forward. That if you drag it back to where that invention came from. It came from the mind. It came from nowhere into a person's mind. And then, as you said, he put it into practice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you just pause and get curious about it, you can see that that is ev at the crux of every religious conflict, um, every territorial geographical conflict, um, what's going on in the environment today. I mean, it's a set of thoughts that got put into motion in the world. And then we are continuing to move forward with those, even though they're broken. Yeah. But it was originally a thought. And in order to fix it, we need to tap into new thought. And that's, I think, 
um, actually much simpler than it looks. And why I get so excited about having these conversations and doing some of the projects we're doing around the world is that when you go straight to the source, um, it is simple and it is easier to see change happen quicker. And I think part of the reason people have been frustrated and felt like change has been hard or too slow and why do we still have so many problems is because of what you just said is that um, they're already created and then people are trying to change it as opposed to seeing that we need to have a new thought and create something totally new instead of trying to fix this thing that was already created. <laughs> yeah. Great. Hope that was helpful for people. We can definitely talk more about that. You ready for the next one? Yes, hit me. All right. So in the first Win Solution Conference, there was a talk called The Personal is Global. Can you speak more about that? What's the link between personal problems and global problems? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a... Um, continuation of the conversation we just had about how can you say there's one solution and it's um, again it, it can only become visible as you start to talk about it it's easy to think that this isn't true but it is it is that the individual becomes the global like again global is just a word for describing when something becomes mass scale Right, So it goes from being something that exists inside your personal household or your personality yourself and then extends beyond that to something in a community and then potentially in the wider global community. But it's still a spread of an idea. I mean, again, I, like I said, it's kind of crazy to consider, but if you start looking at it, it's like, well, hang on, I guess it is. is it's the spread of thought or the spread of idea uh, whatever you want to call it, but the world we have created is personal ideas that have become global. And it fascinates me kind of what takes and what doesn't and mm -hmm. what encounters so resistance. Random. And yeah, you know, I mean, obviously I wasn't there to live it, but you know, we, we've all heard the stories in science class that the first people to propose that the earth wasn't the center of the universe were like, you know, burned alive or something or, or ostracized from their communities or something not, good. something not nice. And um, similar with germ theory, this, this preposterous idea that there were these invisible organisms all over us. I mean, it totally creeped people out, understandably, and just seemed ridiculous. And yet the idea that you know, miasmas or noxious air was what was causing it or, or even more sort of um, spiritual or, uh, you know, kind of ominous things like bad spirits and, you know, were considered normal. And this other thing was considered crazy. And now here we live in um, modern world and I can look over there and see soap and antibacterial hand wash next to the sink where we are. And that's just normal because of the understanding of germs. So that, you know, what takes something from being individual to being global? Um, I'm even going to throw out something really ridiculous that I thought about this morning as I was getting dressed. It's like, you know, thong underwear. It's like, 
I can still remember having the conversation with my mother when like thongs became mainstream and she was totally yeah. appalled. It was like, who thought sticking a piece of cloth up your rear end is a good idea yeah, yeah, and yeah. that like all women should embrace. And I'm not saying all of them do, but a really good, I would say the thong has gone global. I think it's fair to say that's an idea that spread. And yet I guarantee you in the very beginning days, there was someone sitting in a room of, you know, some underwear company going, this is the dumbest idea I've ever heard. Women are never going to go for this. And someone else said, no, no, they won't see panty lines through your pants and da, 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 da. But isn't it uncomfortable? Who cares? Women don't care about that. (laughs) So everything from what gets adopted um, scientifically to what gets adopted culturally and and a lot of, you know, people kind of bristle at that well, but science has, you know, a rigorous process of testing. And But what becomes mainstream is often random. And like, you know, I, I find it fascinating. Like, how did Hitler get so far? You know, not, none of that was scientifically. He just was very persuasive. He had a thought and an idea and he managed to persuade a ton of people to get behind a totally batshit crazy idea. Mm-hmm. You know, thongs. What? <laughs> like, so I don't mean to make light of serious things, but I think it's helpful if people can kind of zoom out yeah. and see. And, you know, I know people have loved that book, Sapiens, that you've been reading and I've been stealing from you periodically, but you know, just the fact that one of the interesting characteristics of Homo sapiens is that we can have ideas and share ideas and create, invent, imagine entire societies built around ideas. Yeah. Like they don't exist in the material world. Yeah. Capitalism doesn't exist on planet Earth. Frankly, planet Earth doesn't give a shit. It'd probably be happy if we'd never created it in the first place. Yeah, And so I think we're at a really interesting time of realizing some of these imagined systems that we've all come to agree upon are really of a great disservice to us. But if we're willing to step back and stop trying to fix them at the level they were already created, trying to get a better system, really go back to the source. And that is personal. That can only happen personally. And then someone has to be willing to take that personal and make it global. But just to give an example, like a real world example of, you know, we're here in Chicago um, working with individual teenagers, talking to them about the mind and the fact that they are experiencing their own thinking and that that's what gets put into the world for them and becomes their life. Life is not something that's done to them from the outside. It's not something that's externally posed by a set of rules. It's not externally imposed by the man, by the government, by the police, by the... Their life is whatever thinking comes into their world and they act on. And so just even introducing the notion that the violence that's so pervasive in their community in the south side of Chicago is a result of thinking that's been acted on over and over again that doesn't look like thinking anymore. It's just become the norm. It's just become life in the hood. Yeah. Well, life in, bo- life in the hood is behavior acted on. Well, where does behavior come? It comes from people's thinking and what they decide to do in any moment. So we've been having all these conversations with these kids about the idea that retaliating when someone 
shoots your friend or gets in a fight with your friend that retaliating is a requirement or that somehow retaliation is going to make you feel better or that retaliation is somehow built into the script of what's expected of you, revealing all of that for just thoughts. People either believe it or they don't. And if someone realizes, oh, no one can do that thought to me, no one can say, you have to think you have to retaliate. Only I can think I have to retaliate. And them seeing that, and it's amazing because youth are so open and responsive. The second they're given the option to become more powerful, more in control of their own lives, they'll take it. And so these kids are seeing, oh yeah, I don't have to become a victim to my hood and the ways of acting that are popular in my hood right now. And they're realizing that by seeing that it's all in their own mind, that it all comes from their own mind. And that's new to them. The idea that it's not something that happened to them, it's not because of where they were born or because they don't have money or because their father's in jail or because gangs are prevalent on their block. It's really seeing that their mind is what's driving what they do in their life and then what becomes possible for them in their life. And literally the trajectory of the future they create for themselves is a rippling out of their understanding that it's their own mind and nothing else. So that's a real world example of how one of the projects we're doing is showing the personal is global. We're attempting to tackle the violence in the South side of Chicago by teaching these individual kids about their minds. I remember uh, watching this little clip of Rick, Ricky Gervais and he was saying, he was laughing and say, we just waited to introduce, he was using religion as an example, until you're 20. Because he was explaining that as children, we're basically like a, like a sponge, like we, we mm-hmm. take everything for granted and we just believe it. And after it's effort, it's a part of it, part of us, it's harder to let go of. Like thongs, like it's, it's <laughs> thongs is just so normal that to now say, hey, like, you know, like people want, well, let's, let's uh, demonstrate against thongs, like women against thongs. Like it's going to be <laughs> extremely hard. What? Women against thongs? This, this, <laughs> the same way, uh, you know, if you want to re- reinvent the financial system, right. people, ah, oh, we don't want capitalism. Or like, unless something comes to people that they can have an insight that is better, mm-hmm. that they see, like have an experience, this will take us somewhere different and it would evolve in a different direction. We will keep it. But it is possible. Like system has changed in all all cultures. It, it can It can change, but it has to come from that end in a way. And I was I just found it so funny that as you said, on on the South Side, we're basically with all parents, all schools, all society are teaching kids what to think. Mm-hmm. And when they grow up, they pick that up like a sponge. So it, it's a quite coincidence that you pick up certain mentality growing in that environment. And if you go to a different, go to Spain, you believe completely different things. Right. And completely naturally, because you aren't taught to discern in a way. So you, we are built that way. It's a, it's a great thing that we're able to learn that fast, but 
if we aren't learned that we have the ability to imagine, the ability to think, and the ability to make up stuff that isn't real and that st- things are fluid, not mm-hmm. solid, then whatever we think, we think is true. Right. And we think that we think that Spain is the right, right way to be. Uh, the Catalans disagree, whatever, like whatever it is, like you can have any difference, you would see that it's a difference in thought that coincidentally is different because they grew up believing in certain things. Right. This is going to sound ridiculous, but I'll never forget the first time I went to the home of someone that I had been working with that I really respected. And I thought this was a really, um, together person who I really admired and I went to their house for dinner and their house was a complete shithole. There was mess everywhere. And it was funny to me because I was raised in a home where clean, it wasn't like, it was so just the point you're making is it was, it was the way it should be. It was right. You know, it wasn't, and and like, yeah, as a kid, I had my own resistance to it. And sometimes I wanted to be messier, but for the most part, I grew up in a home that was mostly clean all the time and I needed to clean up after myself. So walking into the home of someone that I really respected and seeing that it was really, really dirty, like there was just stuff everywhere was like, it so um, jarred my reality that those two things could go together. It was like, wait, you're normal and your house is a complete disaster. Yeah. Yeah. And I only share that example. I was like in my early 20s, but it immediately showed me how made up that is, you know, but, and, and it was shocking to me. I was like, oh, I didn't even realize until I stepped into the home of someone who it had mess and that was totally normal and respectful to them that that was an ingrained idea in me. And I thought that was just the way things are. And it was so freeing to me because I remember thinking it was sort of like the first time I traveled out of the country as a teenager and like, being in another country and everything smells different and the food is different. It was like that. I was like, I'm in a different country. (laughs) And it just opened up in my mind that people make that up. People decide how clean or dirty they're willing to have their living space. And it was, I know it sounds silly, but it was really freeing to me. I remember sort of like exhaling. It's like, oh yeah, this is arbitrary. People make up how they want their home to look and you just happen to grow up in one kind. Yeah. And and how it becomes global or societal is basically that more people believe the same thing. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a kind of like the gift and the curse of humans is we have the ability to imagine and we have the ability to agree on what we have imagined and that becomes what's right or wrong. Right. So. And that becomes racism and yeah. extremism and yeah. everything else. But also beautiful things. You know, I can't think of any right now. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> totally joking. Well, community, you know, the sense of community yeah. or the people love to use the word tribe, the sense of tribe, this idea that you have people that kind of have your back. And part of that is that they agree with your thinking in a lot of ways. Yeah. <laughs> and there is something beautiful about that. But yeah. if you don't know that it's thought and you begin to think it's an external truth, then that's when it becomes... Slippery. And, and hearing that, it's like if you agree with something, you have to basically say that the opposite isn't true. Right. So part of feeling community to one thing means that you feel the opposite 
of what other people think. So that's where we get stuck because we make meaning out of that mm-hmm. process. And I do think humans are making an evolution around that. It just needs to be faster yeah. given all the shit that's being created in the meantime. But there is more and more of a movement toward people being involved in a certain faith, for example, but being very clear in stating that they're accepting of all faiths. Yeah. You know, I don't think you heard that a hundred years ago. And you hear it all the time now. Yeah. And um, before we go on to the next question, I really want to share this quote that I read recently. All right, go get it. Okay. So I just stumbled across this article. It was actually a um, speech given in 2009 to the graduating class of, I think, the University of Portland. There was a guy named Paul Hawken, um, who's an environmentalist, and he said in this amazing article that I recommend everyone read, um, you can find it on my Facebook, but it said, he says, at present, we are stealing the future, selling it in the present, and calling it gross domestic product. We can just as easily have an economy that is based on healing the future instead of stealing it. And I thought that was such a beautifully articulated example of a thought system that has become so destructive. But to your point, because it's so ingrained in people, basically capitalism above anything else. Like that that gross domestic product supersedes everything else in terms of what we measure and care about. And I know that's a generalization, but you can see it. It's everything from, you know, my childhood of being raised to get good grades in high school so you can get into a good college so you can get a good job. I know that's the script for lots of people. So you can get a good job. So you can get a good job. So you can get (laughs) because GDP, you know, the ability to make money, generate profit. That's what we care about in this country anyway. And that's been ingrained into me since I was a child. And, you know, in this really beautiful, passionate speech that he gave, he basically points out that that collective way of thinking is stealing the future. And you can see that now. You can see that there are certain profit-driven industries that are making the world unsustainable. So our kids aren't going to have a place to live safely and sustainably. And I, I just thought that was a brilliant example of, you know, he says we can just as easily have an economy that is based on healing the future instead of stealing it. And I think that just as easily part is what One Solution is all about. The only thing required to shift from the economy have now to the one he's talking about is a shift in thought. Yeah. It's a a sentiment or a way, but it can also be miles away depending on if it gets picked up, if a new thought gets picked up. Great. Should we do one more? Sure. All right. So let me see if I can pick one. All right. Let's pick this one. How do you make people care about the world? It seems people just care about themselves and what's around them and have trouble looking at the big picture and what's best for the planet and the people of the world as a whole. I can begin with that one. Then you can 
you're getting out of yours. Well, um, there's a couple of things that come to mind. One is any human that is weighed down by their own emotions and feelings and thinking look at themselves and care about themselves. Any human being, if you take me on a day where I, I'm, I'm stressed, I'm, I'm down, I'm feeling bad or anxiety, whatever it is I feel, I have a lot of trouble looking at anything that would benefit even the person next to me. Like uh, if, it, if it's my family or you or... And the world, I don't even care about the world at that point. Like it's Who's all the world? <laughs> it's all about the meat. So it's very natural that humans, when we're weighed down or stressed or distracted, it doesn't have to be dramatic, but just distracted by other things, by by what's going on in our minds, what what we think we should do, or um then we don't look at how we can benefit the world. Like it's just natural. And the opposite is when we're happy and clear and I don't feel like I have any issues, I have all this bandwidth and power and energy to contribute. And that's not just me, that's every human being. Like You really want to contribute because you don't need anything. So it's this feeling of not needing anything, uh, either if it's material things or whatever it is, if I don't need anything, I can go and look who else needs something. And sometimes even if I'm feeling like I care about myself, as soon as I have a glimpse like, oh, you can look at somebody else, I'm like immediately transported out of uh, caring about myself and I care about other people and my spirits lift. I remember, you know, uh, Hans, a colleague of uh, ours, he he's a guy that does uh, like long treks and ski over glaciers, and he we takes people over Greenland and all these like large um, expeditions. And they had a rule in their team that was if you feel really down, you go help somebody else. And I, I thought that was interesting. Like, why would you have that rule? And he explained, well. Usually what's normal is someone's down, everybody helps that person. And then sometimes that helps, but sometimes that person even more feels like, oh, I'm I'm down or whatever. Identifies but, with yeah. it even more. Yeah. But they made up with their creative mind. Like, what if y- y- we have a rule in our team that if you're down, you go help somebody else? And what was interesting is that their own they forgot about themselves. Whatever it was they were caring about, they forgot about it and they were back into a flow and caring about the, the team as a whole. So I, I, I found that process really, really interesting in itself that our mind can shift from looking at ourselves and in a blink of an eye, we can look at the world. Mm. So that's how close it is from caring about only yourself and whatever it is, profit, what I do with my life, whatever it is, to suddenly that can be forgotten in a moment. Even in a moment of play, a moment of drinking a cup of tea, it could be forgotten. But more on a like sustainable way, you could, you could see that the world is about more than uh, you. Mm-hmm. right? And I could relate to that, caring about me and my world. And 
after we started One Solution is really when I, I saw to the degree I, I still cared about me and my stuff, but it kind of like freed me into like a really big picture of the world. So that's one piece. The other one is that for some reason, I think as humans are thinking makes real what is close and understandable to us. So I care about you. I care about my family and if, if, uh, and my friends and whatever, like we have made up what's closest to us. We care more about and what's far away for some reason, it's hard for our mind to grasp that we should care. Mm-hmm. Like, why should I care? It has nothing to do with me. I'm here, you're here. I care about these people. But then if I know somebody in Pakistan and I have a friend there, let's say I met him somewhere and we got to know each other and I, we really built a relationship. If something happens in Pakistan, suddenly I care because I have a friend there. I'm like, wow, really... There's a friend there we got, and then I might even go like, oh, we got to do something to help. We got to support them. We got to send money or create some organization or something only because I built a relationship with that person. Mm -hmm. And I found that fascinating. So in a way, caring and, and being a part of the system as a whole is realizing that it's, it's the same thing that if you knew those people you would care just as much as your best friends and the only trick of the mind is that it's outside of our visibility so we dismiss it but if we knew then we would help anybody there's nobody who would be friend with somebody and not care that like that's impossible but we just out, kind of like out, out of sight, out of mind, like that expression came to mind, like, wow, that, that really is that. And it's really innocent. Like if we don't see it, we can't relate to it. And the issue with that in terms of the world right now is that it's just so big and connected. Yeah. That was an issue when we were small tribes, when it was just like us and there were some, some other people somewhere else. When we couldn't launch a nuclear missile. Yeah. To another or, or affect <laughs> or affect the environment together as a whole. Like that's not that wasn't an option before. So there was no problem. It was like great that that's a human thing. Like it, it, it connect, connects community and we can collaborate and that's great. Mm-hmm. But the way the world is set up now, that line of thinking or that habit of thinking or that just part of evolution creates huge amounts of problems. Because now we, we have to kind of upgrade our idea of a tribe and our idea of a world and our idea of an environment. So it's not our piece of land, it's the whole world. So over here is the same as over there. It's just that over there is a little bit further. But now we have to kind of transcend, um, I guess, distances and realize that we are interconnected, whether we want it or not. We could, we could say, no, I just want to be nationalist. We can do all that, but it still wouldn't change the fact that we are right at, at every level. At a, uh, not even in a like 
I'm not talking about spiritual level here, like that we're all one. I'm saying with technology, with internet, with systems, with everything, we the are economy, all with the environment. <laughs> everything's linked. So whether we want it or not, and we can hide away and pretend that we're not, we are. So it's kind of sharing for me what would help people is first to the first point, when people feel good, we have just a different sight for life. Like we, we just want to contribute and help. And then from there, we just have to realize how connected we are. That would, that would up our, our thinking about that. Like those two things are the first thing that came to my mind, but I really think that it could be that simple and that hard because if, if we are a world that are chronically stressed, chronically um, thinking about stuff that doesn't matter, then it's really hard to even hear what I just said. So I think it begins with helping people, supporting people, listening, understanding their world, and it lifts people's spirits. Yeah. I was going to say, if the first thing you said is true, then that one has to be tackled first because they can't even hear the second one. I know. Like you said, the second one is true. But to your point, when you're overwhelmed, stressed, just trying to get through your own day, you don't give a shit about that second point. Yeah. But the one thing I would add, I mean, I, I think everything you said is spot on. The only additional thing that I think is really hopeful, and I'm not saying we have an answer for this, but it's a direction like we talked about. I can see that down the road headed that way is the destination. It's where we want to get to, which is that I think the chronic levels of stress and anxiety and depression and overwhelm that have become normalized in our world are a result of a misunderstanding of the mind. That if people really understood that I'm not living in an externally imposed world, I'm living my mind and I have thought and I have freedom of thought. That is not coming from my job. That's not coming from my spouse. That's not coming from some pressure to make X amount of money or have Y amount of material things to show for myself or not even related to finances, just having your life and yourself and your personality look a certain way. People make up that that's externally imposed. Like we are living in a very outside in imposed world right now that these things are making me feel this way. The one I love, like looking out the window at I-90 there, traffic. It's like, even just when you look at ideas that have spread, it's like, just like thongs spread and whatever. <laughs> it's like, traffic is stressful. In a way, has become a talking point. There are lots of human beings that traffic is not stressful for them. But culturally, it's caught on that we all hate traffic or weather. Like, oh, weather makes me depressed or... That's not true. It's, like, it's, it's random. It's variable. It's different all the time because different thinking happens to you all the time. And you can have moments where you're sitting in traffic and you're listening to a book on tape or you're listening to music or you're letting your mind wander and you're fine. And then there's other times where, yeah, you're really annoyed and the cars in front of you can't move fast enough. But unfortunately, and, and everything uh, culturally plays into this in terms of our media our advertising, it's like the news, it just cracks me up because it's more and more dramatic. Like what's going to kill you next? You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> so 
I don't need to go on because I know everyone can see it, but unfortunately, I think the levels of stress that have become normal are a result of our misunderstanding that we're experiencing externals when in truth we're experiencing thought and we have freedom of thought, just like we're showing those kids in the South side that, and they're getting hopeful and empowered and beginning to live very different lives because they see it's not what other kids do. It's not the zip code I live in. It's my mind and what I do do with my own thinking. That freedom frees them up. They feel better. And they say that when we ask them, how's this helping you? Well, uh, I find I'm not getting into fights as much. I, I, I have what one kid always says, I've been in less altercations. <laughs> yeah. And, and they also describe just generally feeling better, feeling more hopeful. Like that's what the world needs more of. And to your point, then the second thing is, then it's easy to see beyond your own struggles to a larger world, to a global connectivity that we are responsible, all of us for playing a part in. But first and foremost, people got to feel better. And I think it's important that when you say that, you're not talking about some happiness initiative or, you know, some sort of positive thinking psychology thing that it's, it's more fundamental than that. It's not yeah. a psychology thing. It's not a happiness thing. It's a fundamental human understanding about where our experience comes from. And I personally feel very strongly that because we kind of had that the wrong way around, that explains why very high levels of stress and low levels of well-being have become pervasive in our culture. And I could go on and on and on about how it shows up in schools and how it shows up in the workplace. That's another podcast. Yeah, so I'll save it for another podcast. But I think it's a really important point that you made and that you know, if we're really saying we're one solution, this is the solution to that too. Great. Time has flown. We've spent more time on three questions. We have a, we had a bunch more, but uh, I think this was rich enough. I think we could uh, end it here. What do you think? Sounds good. <laughs> I had fun. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And please send us uh, any new questions if you if you want to hear more about what we just said or have any new stuff that we didn't talk to send us an email and we'll get that on the next Q&A podcast. Yes, we love getting questions from listeners. It's our favorite kind of episodes to do. Yeah. Actually, I'll probably say that about whatever episode we're yeah. doing in the moment. <laughs> <My> favorite guy. <laughs> All right, thanks guys. Thanks guys. Bye-bye.